0: Tonight we are continuing our study of introducing Emmanuel, so we are still navigating through because I'm, I'm trying to be in two places at once, so I will be going to the Iwana after this. Do you guys, I'm enjoying seeing all of y'all up there uh, singing with the kids. I think that's a really cool thing. The adults are enjoying it, or I hope the adults are enjoying it. The kids are loving it, and I hope that y'all are enjoying it as well. I know there's at least one voice that really enjoyed it and got fired up for it, all right? At least one voice that loved it. Caw, it got me. Uh, that was, wasn't it? So let me tell y'all something. Yeah, Caw, all right. Uh, Jefferson County has just released, if y'all have not heard, that mask mandates are changed. Yeah, everyone must be wearing a mask while on Jefferson County campuses. That starts tomorrow. Tomorrow. It starts Tomorrow. Starts tomorrow. So, so that's what's going down in Jefferson County. Another fun fact, hey, so, so uh, just to let you know my world recently, you guys didn't ask for this, but I'm going to let you know. I'm going to let you in my world, okay? All right, you guys know I've been driving a, uh, uh, a short bus for a while now. All right, I've been driving a, a short bus, and that is true. I've been driving a short bus. It is shorter and, uh, and uh, it's glorious. It is easier to drive. All right, it has air conditioning. Uh, I have have, uh, only three students, although it takes me like an hour and a half to run my route. Uh, But three students versus a whole bunch. I've got air conditioning on there. Uh, I do have another adult who's supposed to be able to help. And I have air conditioning. So it's really important that you guys know I've been doing that for the last like five years. And the Burkett Center shut down, and so they moved me to a long bus. And I've been, driving, I've been driving a long bus for the last three days. And let me tell you something, I think I've lost more water from my body in these last three days than I have the last three years, all right? I am sweating so much on the bus. And I'm realizing, I'm realizing that the short bus has maybe even softer than I already was, all right? I am such a softy. Like, I, I'm, I'm like, man, where's my air conditioning? And then I start yelling at the kids, you know, and, and beating them up, you know, huh? So, this route, I'm at Chalkville Elementary School, this route, mm-hmm, I'm at Chalkville Elementary, uh, is a double route, which means I take the first set of students to their homes, and then I have to go back to the school, pick up the next set. And go, so it's it's a blast. So much fun, so much fun. Uh, And the thing about it is that uh, that this is not a hard route at all. But these kids haven't had a bus driver, like a consistent bus driver, at all. So they don't know if they're second load or first load. And so for the past two days, guess what I've had? I've had. Wrong kids on the wrong load, and I'm sitting there working with them. Where do you live? <laughs> and then, and then when I figure it out, I take them home, and I kick them off the bus. and say, "Get off! You're not allowed to be here." Kind of like what I would do with Aiden, no matter what. So you guys didn't ask for that information, but for the next week and a half, or for the next week, I've got to be doing that. So you're welcome. You guys just understand. I'll be sweating on a bus tomorrow. Woo! Too. I saw on our bus too. Huh? I on bus too. You su- you sweat on a bus too? But here's the thing, as bad as it may be on that bus, it cannot compare to how rough it was on the van in New Orleans, in New Orleans. That was rough, that was rough. Uh, Sitting on the side of the road was pretty awful. Sitting on the side of the road was pretty awful, but that wasn't the entire ride and the entire trip to New Orleans. So, you guys are going to need Bibles. It's going to be a little bit different tonight. Oh, by the way, by the way, how many of you, how many of you brought your Bible with you tonight? How many of you brought your Bible with you tonight? Okay. How many of you have Bibles at home, but you didn't bring it with you tonight? Okay. So here's what's going to happen. Okay. Not, not right now or anything like that, but starting in October, those Bibles are going to go away. All right. I want you to start bringing your own Bibles. All right. Those Bibles are going to be going away for our students. I want y'all to bring your Bibles. All right, I'll still have them for the kids. And if there is a student who comes in who does not have a Bible, honest to goodness doesn't have a Bible, I'll have them available for it. But I want y'all to bring your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, let me know. I'll get you a Bible. I love being able to hand people a Bible. So starting in October, starting in October, those Bibles are going away. I want you to bring your Bibles, okay, your Bibles. Alright, so we are going to be continuing in our series called Introducing Emmanuel. We start off, as we have every week, we're going to look at Psalm 24, 8 through 10, and that is printed out on your study guide, Psalm 24, 8 through 10, and it says this, Who is this King of glory? Yahweh, strong and mighty, Yahweh, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift yourselves up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is He, this King of glory? Yahweh of hosts. He is the King of glory, Selah. Alright, and we've been using Psalm 24 as a launching pad to introduce to us uh, Yahweh. And so tonight we're taking off that first question. We're taking off that first question bit there that Yahweh is mighty in battle. Yahweh mighty in battle. I'll tell you what, do that uh, after our Bible study, okay? Because I'd rather you be looking in a Bible than uh, in hair. Uh, So Yahweh mighty in battle. Yahweh mighty. Okay, so when you think of a battle, what comes to your mind? When you think of a battle, what comes to your mind? Bunch of people with swords, like maybe running at each other, like on a battlefield. What'd you say? World War II. World war II. There were a lot of battles in World war. Name a battle in World War II. Uh, World two. <laughs> that was <laughs> a, okay. So that was so that was a war. <laughs> so <laughs> name name a battle. World two. <laughs> Civil war. The, the Civil War. Okay, that's not a battle in World War II, but uh, but. Oh you can name another you can name another war. What war did you name? The Civil War? war Civil yeah, battle, oh. yeah, battle. <laughs> Alright, can you name a battle uh during the Civil War? I just did. What what Gettysburg Gettysburg, yeah. There's there's one. There's one. Yeah. Where, uh, where, should, where, um, the, president died, where the president died? Okay, that's never happened in a war. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, what? Yeah, what is war it? <laughs> the war game battleships, the board game battleships. Yeah, I've heard of it. I've, I've heard of it. Okay, so when we think of a battle, we think of uh, opposing military forces clashing. Sometimes uh, I think of um, I think of movies that I've seen. Braveheart. That's a big one where they're running at each other with swords and. With their axes. And they go and they meet in the middle and they fight. 300 uh, was one where there's a lot of fighting, a lot of battles there. Um, When we think of battles, that kind of mindset comes out. Now, when we look at Psalm 24, when we look at Psalm 24, it uses the word Yahweh. Do you guys remember what Yahweh means? I told y'all last week, yeah. Yeah, it's the given name from God. Yahweh is His personal name. It is I Am. If you look at, uh, and like I've got an ESV here, if you look at Psalm 24 in the ESV, it doesn't use the word Yahweh, but what does it use? It says the Lord, but what's different about that version of the Lord? Yeah, the word Lord is all caps. Every time you see the Lord, and the word Lord is all caps, is coming from that word, Yahweh. This is the personal name of God. This is Yahweh. The Lord is mighty in battle. But I've got to ask you a question. Has, have you ever heard of a story in the Bible where, like, God fought a battle... Or Jesus fought a battle the way we think of it when we think of being in wars and battles. Is there ever a time when Jesus picked up a spear and just went to town on the Roman government? No. Is there ever a time where He led His disciples into battle? No. So if we're saying Yahweh, mighty in battle, we've got to get a different image in mind. Now, I do not, I do not, let me repeat, I do not recommend this song as a great song for learning your theology. But when I was growing up, there was this Christian artist named Carmen. All right? And Carmen... And Mr. Keith and Mr. Drew will know exactly where I'm going with this. Carmen had a song, and this song was called The Champion, all right? And listen, that song, that song, like, in the middle of 80s Christian music, like, that was the end-all, be-all for Christian music. And what Carmen did, he didn't sing. What Carmen did is he talked while music played. I'm not kidding you. That's what he did. And he gets up there and he tells this story. And if I would tried hard enough, I could probably even recite all of the song. Do it. Do it. I won't do all of it because it's a long song. Let's see here. But I'll uh, let's hear here. Uh, the bell, the crowd, the fight was on and the devil leaped in fury with all his evil tricks became undone. He threw his jabs of hate and lust, a stab of pride and envy, but the hands that knew no sin blocked everyone. Forty days and nights they fought and Satan couldn't touch him. Now the final blow saved for the final round. Prophetically, Christ's hands came down and Satan struck in vengeance. The blow of death fell Jesus to the ground and the music went down. The devils roared in victory. The saints shocked and perplexed as wounds appeared upon his hands and feet. Then Satan kicked him in his side and blood and water flowed. And they waited for the ten count of defeat. God the Father turned His head, His tears announcing Christ was dead. The ten count would proclaim the battle's end. Then Satan trembled through his sweat in unexpected horror yet as God started to count by saying 10, hey, hey, wait a minute, God. Nine, stop, you're counting wrong. Eight, his eyes are opening up. Seven, his fingers are twitching. Uh, six, where's all this light coming from? Five, he's alive! Four, oh no! Three, oh yes, two, he has one! And let me tell you something, when he threw out, he has won, everyone in that crowd would go, ah! I mean, you'd hear crying. You'd see people jumping to their feet. You'd see people getting on their knees. Tell, tell I mean, Am I wrong about that? People went nuts over that song. I mean, you have, like, really, at the end of tonight, look, you can go and YouTube this thing, okay? It's called The Champion by Carmen. You can watch the whole thing, all right? And when he gets up there and when he goes... He goes, he has won And He throws his hands up in the air and that crowd, they're going nuts. That is a song that imagines who in a battle? Jesus. It imagines Jesus in a battle and who is he fighting against in this battle in that song? Satan, the devil. Now, when I, because of the baggage of years of listening to Carmen, obviously years of listening to Carmen, and because of all, you guys, remember how I showed you like the power team last week? Y'all remember that, those of you who were here? So, for for the few of you that were here, you know, now, most, most, actually, most everybody was here the south and the jones boys were not though Sorry. but the power team carmen they made jesus like this when we think of him being mighty in battle they made him like like he's going to fight a war like that like we need to think of him as like throwing punches and stuff like that that is not the way that jesus is mighty in battle It's not the way he's mighty in battle. And we have to, in my mind, I have to get rid of that baggage. And you guys can't come to this idea of Yahweh, of Jesus being mighty in battle with an idea of uh, wars or military like we would know them in today's time. No, when we come to the text and we understand that Jesus is mighty in battle, it looks completely different than what anyone expected. In fact, in fact... There has been some thoughts that people expected and thought that Jesus was going to be that kind of a mighty warrior. There were these groups of Jewish people called the Zealots, and the Zealots believed that the Messiah was coming, but that the Messiah was going to come as a war hero, and that this war hero Messiah was going to come, and he was going to defeat the Romans, and he was going to establish the kingdom of David. But when the Messiah came, he didn't match that mindset at all. Some have even speculated that Judas, the man who betrayed Jesus, that Judas was a zealot. And that maybe Judas went and got the Romans to come and arrest Jesus so that it would kind of kickstart his fighting attitude. I don't hold to that. Have you ever heard that, Drew? Drew? Have you ever heard that theory before? There are people who believe that Judas was so convinced that Jesus was going to be a mighty warrior Messiah that he went and got the Romans, brought them to Jesus to kind of kickstart the fight. I don't really hold to that. But everyone who thinks of a mighty battle has this image in their head. And that's an okay image to have because that's historically what we've seen. But you've got to remove that when we come to the person of Jesus. So, there are three things we're going to look at. How can Yahweh, how can Jesus be mighty in battle? How can He actually prove His might? What battle did He fight? And how can He be victorious? To be mighty in battle is to imply that you are strong enough to be victorious in battle. There's three things that we're going to look at for the remainder of the night, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at three things, and we're going to dive into three different areas of Scripture. And we're going to see, in kind of some long format, how Jesus proves that He is able to be mighty in battle in these areas. So the first thing it's number two on your study guide, Jesus is must have victory over sin in His person. Jesus must have victory over sin in His person. Now what does that mean? To have victory over anything in your person. What does that mean? What do you think that means? Is there a difference between talking on the phone or talking to someone in person? Okay, what's the difference? Person's face to face. Absolutely. Is there Yeah, there's a lot of differences, right? There's a whole lot of differences. Is there a difference between being a great football player in a video game and being a great football player in person? Yes. Yeah, what's the difference? One takes skill. One takes skill, the other one takes thumbs. Right? <laughs> That's right. Listen, you guys will get, y'all will get dominated by me in some video games, maybe. Actually, y'all probably play more video games than I ever have, all right? But if it came to actually doing anything against y'all, y'all would probably destroy me in most things. So when we say that Jesus must have victory over sin in his person, understand this is not some sort of symbolic thing. Jesus actually has to come, and he has to have victory over sin in his person. Now, why is that important? Why is that important? Because the first person who ever came, the first man who ever came, was who? The first man who ever came to earth was who? Adam. Adam was our representative. He was the person who represented all of mankind for all of history because he was the first. And did Adam have victory over sin? No, he failed. Adam was defeated by sin in his body, in his spirit, in all of his person. If we are going to see Jesus mighty in battle, you need to understand that the battleground is not a field. The battleground is not a beach. The battleground is nothing that we can think of when we think of wars and famous or bloody battlefields. The battle that Jesus is going to fight is the battle over sin and over death. And it's a battleground that we can't even pretend to be a part of. So if Jesus is going to be mighty in battle over sin and death, if he is going to destroy sin and death, if he's going to win that war, then he has to have victory over sin first in his person. Meaning this, that if Adam failed... And if Jesus is going to come, and if Jesus is going to be our representative, our new representative, He's going to have to defeat sin where it lies. Let's just for a moment before we jump to the text. Actually, you guys can go ahead and open up to the text. It's in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, or Well, we'll start in verse chapter 3, 17, and then we'll go through chapter 4. But if you remember correctly... When Adam and Eve were created, they lived in the Garden of Eden. Was there anything not appealing about living in the Garden of Eden? Everything was good for the eyes. Everything was in a good relationship. There was one place, one thing they weren't supposed to do. In all of that whole garden, one thing they weren't supposed to do, and Adam and Eve failed. But how did they fall? Remember, the serpent came. Do you guys remember that? And what did the serpent say to Eve? What were the first words the serpent said to Eve? Do you remember? What were the first words that the serpent said to Eve? Drew. Did Did God really say that you can't eat of any? of the fruits of the trees in this garden? Did God really say? Now the reason why I bring that up, the reason why I offer that to you is because what destroyed Adam and Eve? That question, did God really say? Satan's about to use it again against Jesus. So let's look at Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Someone just read verse 17 for me. Go for it. Okay, that's important. Jesus has just been baptized. He's been put under the water. He's been raised up out of the water. When He raises up out of the water, it says that the light, the heavens opened up. God the Father spoke out of heaven. The Spirit descended on Him like a dove and the voice said, This is my beloved... What? Son. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Remember what God has said. Remember what God has said. Because... We get to chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Very different from the garden. This is a desert wilderness. So are there bunches of fruit trees and nice places to rest or anything like that there? No, there is no abundance here. Unlike the Garden of Eden, Jesus has no advantage to him at all. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the who? By the devil. The same one who came up to Adam and Eve and said, Did God really say? Now look at this, look at this. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I mean, obviously. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. What did God just finish saying in uh, chapter 3, verse 17? This is my beloved Son. And then what does the devil show up and throw right back in his face? If you are the Son of God. If you're really Him did God really say you're the Son of God? Well, if you are, then command these stones to turn into bread. He attacks him with the same thing that he attacked Adam and Eve with in the garden. And if you're reading this for the first time, if you're going through it, and if you're hearing this for the first time, if you've just gone from Genesis and you've been reading all through the New Te- Old Testament and you get to Matthew and you see this part come up, all of a sudden you're going, oh my gosh, he just did it again. Did God really say, if you are the Son of God, and we've got the same drama happening right there before us, but this one's different. Look at verse 4. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I don't have time to unpack all that. But where Adam failed in the garden, Jesus had victory in the wilderness. The devil's not through though. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, what's he doing again? What's he doing again? The same thing. It didn't work the first go around. Jesus was too tricky for me there. But he does the same thing. If you are the Son of God, are you really the Son of God? Did God really say that? Well, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up lest you against a stone. Why did he say that? Well, because about 40 years before that, uh, or maybe 50 years before that, there was a guy who got up there in the temple and he said to everyone, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. And he was not really. And this is what he did. He went up to the pinnacle of the temple, that high roof, of the temple. And he said, I'll prove to you all that I am the Messiah. I'll prove that I am the Christ. And he said, I'm going to throw myself off of this temple and I will not be harmed. And he threw himself off the temple. And you know what happened to him? He died. He died so why did satan take him over there because if you really are the son of god if you really are him then you will succeed where that guy failed and jesus said to him again it is written you shall not put the lord your god to the test again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory he said to him All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Why did he look at the devil? Why did he tell him to be gone when he says, I'll give you the entire world. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you every nation. I'll give you every land. I'll give you every power that I've got if you'll fall down and worship me. Why did Jesus throw it back in his face and say, get away? Because Jesus proved time and time again he is the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, If you're really him, did God really say you are? Well, then turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, I'm not doing it. I will not fall for the same trick that Adam fell for. I will not fall for the same trick that Eve fell for. I will have victory over it. Then did God really say you're the son of God? Well, then throw yourself off the temple. I don't have to test God. I don't have to put him to some sort of Proof that he has to measure up to my standards? I am the Son of God, Jesus was telling him with all those things. And when Satan said, just fall down and bow down to me, he was saying, why would I do that? Because I am the Son of God. And even the devil, even the devil will one day, he'll bow a knee to Jesus Christ himself. So the first thing you have to understand is that Jesus, if He's going to have victory in battle, if He's going to be mighty in battle, if He's going to have victory over sin in His person, that means He must be completely righteous. He must not fail in the same way Adam failed. and He must not fail in the same way that you and I have failed. He must be completely free of sin. He must be completely distant from it. There needs to be no stain of sin on Him at all. So Jesus must have victory over sin in His person. Number three. The third part on your study guide. Jesus must satisfy the just wrath of God. Jesus must satisfy the just wrath Wrath of God. We've got to break that down a little bit. What is wrath? What is wrath? Yeah. Anger. anger. Is it just kind of like, oh man, I'm, I'm really kind of angry at you right now. Is that the kind of anger it is? No. Like when we say wrath, like we're talking about this is an anger, you're going to do something about it, right? Like if I had wrath against Kalen for doing something... I'm not just going to sit over here and be angry at him. I'm going to go do something about what he has done to cause wrath. Does that make sense? Wrath is an anger that causes action. Does that make sense? So we must satisfy the just wrath of God. Does God have wrath? Does God have wrath? Yes. What does he have wrath against? Sin and sinners. Those who have sinned, he has wrath against them. Now let me ask you this. Trent, if I ever told you a lie, okay, and you caught me in it, like you knew I lied to you, all right, and let's say it was like a bad one. It was one that, that hurt you or hurt your family. Let's say it was a bad lie, okay? Now, that would probably cause wrath on your end, at least in the sense, I've got to, we're going to talk about this, bud. But would there be, at some point, an end to that wrath? Yeah. Yeah. Because what I did has a timestamp, right? I am a finite being. What does it mean to be a finite being? I have a beginning and I have an end. I'm a finite being and I offended another finite being who has a beginning and an end. If I offend an infinite being, how long does that wrath go on for? Forever. Infinite. Jesus must satisfy the wrath of God against sin and against sinners. Jesus must satisfy the wrath of God. That means the wrath that is due to me, the punishment that is due to me, must somehow be satisfied in something that Jesus has done. So I want you to flip with me to 1 John. I said, not, not the Gospel of John. 1st John chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 it's not the gospel of John but it's 1st John, it's towards the back chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 and it says this actually would someone read that for me trent you said that trent okay propitiation okay so he got, you got hung up at a word there that you probably haven't read before. Can you remember? Can you say the word again? Propitiation. How many of you have ever read that word before? A couple of you might have. Propitiation is this. He is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a fancy word to say he is the satisfaction for the wrath against our sins. He is the satisfaction for our sins. Or he is the satisfaction for the wrath of God against our sins. The satisfaction for the wrath of God against our sins. When did Jesus ever satisfy the wrath of God? When was there ever a punishment that was given to Jesus on our behalf? At the cross. At the cross, guys, you know what Jesus endured, what He went through. I've told you about the nails and the beatings they took. I've told you about the crown of thorns. You've heard these things over and over and over again. But understand this that in that time on the cross, every bit of God's infinite wrath against me and my sin was poured out on Jesus. For six hours, Jesus suffered. The infinite, unmerciful wrath of God, not just for me, but also for the sins of all those who would ever trust in Him over the entire world. Think about that for just a moment. Jesus absorbed an infinite amount of wrath in six hours. How can Jesus absorb an infinite amount of wrath in that time? Jesus has to be more than just a finite being Himself. Jesus has to be an infinite being who absorbs an infinite amount of wrath so that I don't have to. So Jesus must satisfy the just wrath of God and number four, the last one, Jesus must overcome the penalty of sin, which is death. He must overcome the penalty of sin, which is death. So, because of sin, we know the penalty is death, and it's death forever. It's Eternal death. Eternal uh, damnation. Dying for all of eternity. Jesus must overcome the penalty of sin, which is death. In other words, He has to undo death. Now, we looked at last week that He can do that. He can do that... And in several instances, He does do that. We looked at last week in John chapter 11, how Jesus went up to the man who had died. Do you guys remember who had died in John chapter 11? Lazarus. Lazarus. He went up to Lazarus, who had been dead for how many days? Four days. He'd been dead for four days, and Jesus looked at that dead man. He had the stone rolled away, and He said, Lazarus, come forth. And do you know what that dead man did? He came forth. So we know Jesus can overcome death, but what if Jesus is dead? That's a different kind of a trick, isn't it? Like, how do you overcome your own thing? You don't when it comes to death. You just don't. So how is Jesus going to overdo this? If you could open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to look at three verses, verses 54 through 57. Does anyone want to read those for us? 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. You want to read it for us? And the perishable puts on the imperishable. In other words, when that which can die can all of a sudden be clothed in something that cannot die, and the mortal put on immortality, then shall come the pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Jesus was dead. And I mean dead, dead. For three days. Don't ever get confused about thinking, well, maybe he was alive and he just got up a few days later and walked out. That's not the case. Don't ever, because there's a bunch of reasons why. Don't ever think that somebody stole his body. I can give you proofs why those things are not real. But three days after Jesus was killed, He was killed on a Friday, Saturday. On that Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the grave. The resurrection happened. And when He rose from the grave, understand, He put in defeat all of death for those who will trust in Him and believe in Him so that we can look at death and we can say death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting there is a resurrection that Jesus did first and i am a co heir i am a joint participant in that resurrection because of what he did and so i can literally look at the face of death and i can not be afraid So let me tell you this story. And it's a story that highlights that Yahweh is mighty in battle, that He is victorious. That He is a conqueror. How many of you are familiar with what's been going on in Afghanistan? Afghanistan? So, we won't get into all the politics of everything, but the U.S. pulled out their forces and what started happening as soon as we pulled out our forces? The Taliban. What did they start doing? They took, over. they took over. They are taking over all of Afghanistan, taking uh, stuff that we had left there. They are overthrowing governments. And here's one of the biggest targets that they're wanting to go for, and this is honest to goodness, they are going after Christians. You won't hear this on the 5 o'clock news. You won't hear this story probably being shared on Facebook. But There's a, a, a guy who works at a church up north of here. And uh, he knows Christians in Afghanistan. And he, like, knows them. He can actually call them and talk with them on the phone. And they're part of an underground church. Yesterday, I heard about it yesterday, so I don't know if it was yesterday or if it was a couple days prior. He's on the phone with these Christians in Afghanistan. And they're meeting together in their underground church. And they are singing. And even the children, even the children that they're talking to on the phones are saying, We will not deny our Jesus. And while he is on the phone with them, the Taliban busts in through the back. They hear guns going off. The children, the women, and the men all screaming. And that entire church was martyred every last one of them were killed, even the children. Why? Why can even children look at the face of this horror and say, I will not deny my Jesus? Why? Because Yahweh is mighty in battle. Because in His person, He had victory over sin, because He absorbed the wrath of God and because Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ had victory over sin and death and because of His resurrection, because of His sacrifice, because of who He is, because He is Emmanuel, they can look at death and they can say, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? Understand Yahweh is mighty in battle and it is a might and it is so complete, His victory, that even we, if we follow after Him, can look at His enemy and know that it is so conquered and it is so put down, it is so defeated, even we can look at that greatest of all of our enemies and we can say, you have no sting. You have no victory because my Lord Yahweh is mighty in battle. So you need to understand that there's not a single one of us in here who can wage war against death. Not a single one of us who can do that. But we know the man who can, and we know the man who did, And not only did he wage war against it, he had victory over it. And it wasn't some sort of silly song like the champion. No, 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 no. It looked like a cross and it looked like an empty tomb. It looked like a perfect life. It looked like resisting temptation in the wilderness. And because of that, we can rest in a triumphant Mighty Messiah. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do love you and we praise you. And I thank you that your Son is a mighty and triumphant and victorious Messiah. And Father, the greatest enemy we have is death and he has put it to shame. He has put death to death. Because of that reality we can rejoice and we can trust and we can know that we can have salvation in Him. I pray you would use tonight's study for your glory. It's in your Son's name, Jesus, we ask these things and for His sake. Amen.